Welcome to Overanalyzing, a conversational podcast that explores pop culture, literature, and media. I'm Paige, and I'm here with my brother Cole this week discussing the book and critically acclaimed film adaptation of Call Me By Your Name. Hi, everyone. Hello. Welcome back to Overanalyzing. It's us. Paige and Cole. Paige and Cole. From last episode. Yeah. You guys remember. You remember. Whoever listened to it, thank you. Truly. (laughs) We know it was was a lot to get through. It was was an hour and 42. We love to overanalyze, clearly. So, but if you were one of the people to slap a rating up there for Mm. us, tap those stars. Mind you, a five-star rating. Uh, We're a five-star podcast, you guys. (laughs) Ten whole ratings, all five stars. Our friends are loyal, is what we're learning. Yeah, exactly. It feels nice. It does. It feels really good. Yeah. How was your week? You know, it was good. Um, Didn't really do shit. So that's life, I guess. Yeah, you're on the winter break lifestyle right now. About to get back into it. Go back to school tomorrow. But yeah, no, mine was good. How was yours? I'm... (laughs) No, I'm, tell them. I'm so happy it's Friday. Mm. Yeah. Says it all. It's, it's been a week, and I don't like to be one of those people who immediately defaults to, it was so busy, it was so stressful, but... Because it's like, girl, yeah, that's all of welcome us. Welcome to life. Yeah. yeah. But this week, it... Except it wa- for me. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Except for on you on your, yeah. on your winter break. <laughs> True. Just absolutely relaxing, so you had a lot mm-hmm. of time to reabsorb the material we're going to talk about and what today. material is that that is call me by your name you know what material <laughs> you know what <laughs> so we're going to talk today about call me by your name mm-hmm. the book the film the phenomenon <laughs> the phenomenon <laughs> timothy chalamet mm-hmm. army, army hammer, hammer. andre Al- ackman yes that's the author's name so for those of you who haven't uh read the book, Mm -hmm. seen the film. It is a story about a 17-year-old boy who lives in Italy, Mm -hmm. at least some of the time, and it's a summer romance. He falls in love with an older grad student who comes to study and work with his father, who's a professor. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful story, and the film was gorgeous. Truly. The names are Elio and Oliver, um, mm-hmm. Elio's the younger kid, Oliver's the older grad student. And if you, I, I, yeah, <laughs> if you want to listen to this podcast right now, having not seen the movie or read the book, go off, go off. We totally <laughs> welcome it. But if you want to hit pause and go indulge, can't recommend it enough because it's really mm-hmm. an amazing movie and a really remarkable Something love story. Nice to indulge in too, which I think. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. So that's a good spot to kind of jump into. Why did you like the movie? I liked the movie because, I mean, first of all, the directing by Luca Guadagnino was spectacular. It's just like such a comfortable, cozy, fun, beautiful, lazy atmosphere to be in. Um, In this like Italian villa with these nice colors, some beautiful Mm. piano music in the background. And two traditionally attractive white men falling in love on screen i mean who doesn't love that (laughs) what american doesn't like to indulge a little bit so it's a beautiful story um yeah yeah i think how do you feel about it 
I loved it. I think it's a really transportive film. You watch it and you are put into this really dreamy space. Mm. And like you said, it's just so aesthetically pleasing. There are all of these muted blues and greens and Mm -hmm. lovely music playing throughout. And not a single character is unlikable. And it is just a portrayal of these long, lazy summer days that Mm -hmm. I think everybody wants to to have you know you watch this film and you can't help but think god i need that in my Mm -hmm. life and there's not a single outburst not a single intense screaming heated moment it's just summer vibes summer vibes (laughs) it's a summer vibes you guys no it's really well paced Mm. and kind of has this lovely like quiet feel to it Mm -hmm. it reminds me of of a lot of richard linklater's films like Boyhood and, you know, those before Mm -hmm. sunset, before midnight, just not a lot happens. And yet it feels really relatable Mm -hmm. and really poignant. That's life sometimes. That's life, baby. I wanted to read uh, just something that uh, I think just makes everyone excited. Um, But this is from the book and this is really what the film feels like as well. But Elio is describing their daily routine and he says... Some of us napping, some working, others reading, the whole world basking away in hushed semitones. Heavenly hours when voices from the world beyond our house would filter in so softly that I was sure I had drifted off. Then afternoon tennis, shower and cocktails, waiting for dinner, guests again, dinner. I mean, it just goes, yeah. How nice does that sound? Eating and doing nothing. Yeah, he says the afternoon hours splendid and lush with abundant sun and silence. Mm. I need a little more sun and a little more quiet in my life. Abundant, yeah. Yeah, no, that truly sounds wonderful. And the film is exactly like that as well. One of the cool things about it is it is a movie about desire. Mm. And I think we're used to seeing a lot of romances. That's such a common genre on screen, but you rarely see a movie that's just this really close-up perspective of what it's like to just be yearning for somebody. And an intense desire, but not in a dramatic, typical romance, intense way. It's the kind of desire that's quiet and in your head, but still loud somehow, personally. Just really palpable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, there aren't these sweeping gestures at any Mm -mm. point. There aren't these big cinematic scenes, but there's just this ever-present buildup of mm-hmm. anticipation and connection with someone and Ugh. it's it just feels really relatable yeah yeah truly so how but do along you, with that yeah the shame yeah so let's that's a good point to kind of bring it back to the book mm, and yeah. a lot of what we see in the book and i think the primary difference you and i have talked about is the narrative perspective so the book is in first person narrated by elio and we get so much of his internal dialogue there's not much external dialogue in the book or the movie and so yeah most of the book is just elio over analyzing his and his thoughts his feelings his emotions about oliver yeah going really deep into a single glance Mm -hmm. an expression Sometimes a lack of expression, a lack of action taken on Mm -hmm. Oliver's part. And he... Like layers too deep, probably. Yes. Like he thinks 
that I might do this, so he's doing this, but what if he thinks it's... Nothing happens, Mm -mm. and it's this exchange of him anticipating what could happen if he does a certain thing, and then uh, anticipating the reaction so he doesn't do the thing. It's it's, it's very just internally driven, mm-hmm. and yet it's really it's a compelling book. That might sound boring, like where's the action, but the, but it's not at all. It, the author does a nice job of putting you in that place. I think exactly, and he puts to words those thought processes that we've all gone through when having a crush on somebody or just overthinking about quite literally anything. You don't realize how much crazy shit your brain is doing. And seeing it in words is cool because it's, yeah, deeply relatable. Elio says, um, the urge to scramble and unscramble what was never really coded in the first place. Mm. And that's what so much of the book is, is him just, yeah, scrambling and unscrambling the thoughts, feelings, a look that Oliver gives him, all that stuff. Right. And that's really tied a lot into there is a certain sense of shame throughout the Mm. book. And I don't know if it's conveyed the reason as much potentially in the movie. for the coding right yeah right so what did what was your i, I think definitely that the, the movie has some of the shame that's present in the book um we see it after they have sex for the first time elio is pretty uncomfortable about what happened but throughout the book it is but well, one of the main themes is elio dealing with in in a sort of coming of age type way of his own shame surrounding his desire um but yeah, it's it's a bit heartbreaking, and it's if you choose to focus on the shame, you can either look at it like I remember the first time I read it. To me, it sort of felt like just this nice, pleasant book about two guys falling in love, and I was like, oh, that sounds amazing, Summer Villa, whatever. But then if you go into it and choose to analyze the shame, it's pretty ever present and overwhelming a bit. Being in that headspace of somebody who hasn't figured out their place in their world and their comfort with their place in the world and their comfort with their attraction, their desires, all of that. Yeah, I agree. And that kind of ties into a big theme of the book and the movie, which is sexuality Mm. and specifically bisexuality. Both Oliver and Elio are bisexual. And I think that's important to to call out. Or at least they're not monosexual. Right. They're not gay. They're not straight. There right. is some sort of fluid sexuality, but bisexual right. is the umbrella term we'll probably use for the rest of this. Right. That's a good call yeah. out. Yeah, they both have relationships with women mm-hmm. at different points. As and well as each those, other. Yeah, as well as each other. And those relationships are not manufactured mm-hmm. or forced upon them. And I think the way this movie was talked about in the media was like, Wow, another beautiful, or not another, one of very <laughs> few. Yeah, the third ever in all time uh, gay love story. Mm-hmm. And I guess and I, the, the main love is gay, but the characters are not. Right. And so we kind of miss that nuance, which I think is important. And is that's what's really surrounding yeah. a lot of Elio's internal thoughts. And mm-hmm. because he has a relationship with a character called Marcia. And he Mm -hmm. doesn't experience nearly the same level of discomfort and self-doubt that he does around Oliver because he knows his role with her and he feels really comfortable. 100%. And even Timothy Chalamet does a really good job in the film of demonstrating that with his body language, his ease around 
the female characters versus Oliver. Mm-hmm. And so he spends a lot of time trying to figure out what it means that he has feelings. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Bad podcasters, you guys. <laughs> no, but, that totally. Yeah, I mean, I think to sidetrack slightly, but an important conversation to be had, which I bring up all too often with my friends, they're like, we fucking know. Um, <laughs> which is that so many movies... And, I mean, any any series, books even, they all fall into the trap of bisexual erasure constantly, which is the phenomenon wherein people rarely assume that characters, anything, are bisexual, um, and oftentimes are just scared to even put that word on it, even when the character's, like, quacking like a bisexual, walking like a bisexual, whatever it is. They're not, they never say that they're bisexual. And I think... That definitely in part relates to something I've heard before. I can't remember which queer theorist said this, but bisexuals are the only people that can't see themselves in the mirror or the only LGBT people that can't see themselves in the mirror, which is that even bisexuals will rarely assume somebody else is bisexual. I mean, I constantly see like two men holding hands on the street and I'm like, oh, they're gay. Right. Which is like, no, they very well could be bisexual or one of them could be the other one could be gay they're just attracted to men that is all we know right and even that is an assumption to some degree um and so yeah i think in the same vein as brokeback mountain which is the one i bring up all the time that is billed as the gay cowboy love story when in that movie those characters are so ridiculously bi it's crazy i mean they both have wives and children which it's like what they have to do to make those like those aren't they had real relationships with women, effectively, and right. people want to forget about that constantly, or it feels like something that's right that that is trumped by any queer love, which I I think also just reflects on how society perceives bisexual men to be gay and bisexual women to be straight. Like, oh, she's having a phase; it's college. Like, she's having right. a girl phase, right? But she will eventually come back to her true destiny, which is to procreate with a man. And then for men, it's the opposite of you thought about another man sexually once. It's like, okay, your whole life is gay You now. can't go back from that. You can't that. go back. There's yeah. no coming back. And everything else that wasn't gay prior to that is now is invalid, a lie. canceled. Yeah, a lie. That's so interesting. And I think maybe to some degree it comes from a place of that when we're young, we're really taught to look at the world in a very binary mm. way. And that comes back to so many different things, but even language is really masculine and feminine. And you think Mm -hmm. of romance languages, literal nouns are gendered. Right. And so there's this tendency, I think, for most people to want to put things into one category or Mm -hmm. another. And it's hard for our brains to make space for the possibility that there might be a third category or a fourth or someone who doesn't even fit Mm -hmm. into a category. Says fuck y'all's categories. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think it's tempting to see a movie like this and want to put a label on it mm-hmm. and put it into the box we're comfortable with, but there's a lot more you can gain from looking at the nuanced version of it and diving mm-hmm. deeper into what does their love mean now that they have had to work out their feelings for each exactly. other in the midst of having feelings for other people mm-hmm. and desires for another yeah. people of another gender right? so along with that like 
tidbit you can take away from this podcast is assume everybody you see is bisexual. <laughs> That's Honestly, <it>. ever <laughs> ever since since you came out to our family. I didn't want to tell them. Paige, <laughs> 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 what the fuck? <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm, okay. Um, but I've been ever, publicly out for like five years. Yeah, now, yeah. Ever since you came out to our family, I think that wasn't something that was on my radar. Mm. And you've really taught me a lot about that. And I honestly do walk through the world now under the presumption that actually most people are bisexual. As you should. Like, it, it's such a simple <laughs> switch of language. Like, I know for me, like, my whole ass childhood could have been so much easier if people said, do you like anybody at school instead of do you like any girls at school? Right. Like, that would have been it, and I would have probably come out, felt comfortable with myself way earlier. But to bring it back to what we're talking about on this podcast, Elio is clearly going through these exact same struggles. And I have a quote. At one point, he says, um, he says, no one my age had ever wanted to be both man and woman with men and women. So Mm. in that way, he's talking about sexually, I think. It, he's saying be man and women be man and woman as in assume these masculine and feminine roles right. with other women as well as other men so he's he's not seeing himself reflected in the people around him he doesn't believe anybody else is like that other than potentially oliver which i think is definitely one of the things that attracts him to him is he sees a reflection of himself in oliver right or a similar struggle maybe i want to pull out a quote that is from the book that Mafalda says. Mm. And she says, youth has no shame. Shame comes with age. And I think that's, at first, when you first hear that, I think you go, holy shit, that's really profound. Mm -hmm. But the more I think about it, the more I actually feel like I disagree. I think when, when you're older, you tend to care less Mm -hmm. i think you hit a certain point in your life when you have less of a filter you're you're just less concerned about what other people think of you and therefore less shameful and Mm -hmm. when you're young you're still so trapped in the feeling of how people might perceive Mm -hmm. you and that can really affect a lot of how you view yourself and the shame that comes with that and i think especially for someone who's Mm -hmm. trying to figure out their sexuality or how to come to terms with it. And we see Elio having a lot of shame yeah. throughout the book. I, I feel like the quote could be altered to say that, I mean, I don't know how this would be put eloquently, but that you're born relatively shameless then mm. you develop a lot of shame. And then maybe in the later years of your life, you start to lose it again. Yeah. Right? What's that What's that graph that goes... A normal... That's yeah, like... normal uh, distribution. Parabola. An upside down you or whatever mm-hmm. that just... It, it whatever that graph then, is. Whatever that graph <laughs> is, you guys. Um, that's a really good point. You know, yeah. We're no, none of us are born with shame. We learn to you, put you, it on shame through social cultural. conditioning. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're taught to be ashamed of certain things. Like Elio is taught to be ashamed of his attraction to Oliver. And so I think you could say that 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 quote comes in pretty immediately or it's pretty immediately succeeded by Elio mentioning his own shame about his desires for Oliver, which is a right. weird contrast where I think the author wanted you to be like, oh, but is that true? Right. Because you just said shame comes with age and now Elio is struggling with all these things. So let me ask you this. Why do you think... Do you think that Elio 
coming to terms with his sexuality has anything to do with what a deeply perceptive and analytical person he is. Mm. You just mean like his like precocious nature and yeah, yeah. I would say maybe even the relationship is the inverse in that I know in my experience and in a lot of the experiences of my friends and and of queer people that I've read, it seems like queerness forces a level of adult introspection at a young age upon any young queer person, right? You're, you're, you're sort of confronted with this reality of a deep difference or what you perceive to be a deep difference between you and everybody else in your world. Like uh, you're straying from normalcy and because of that, you have to learn how to hide th- those parts of yourself. And in doing that, you have to be introspective. You have to learn what are people seeing that's making them call me these words at school or that's making yeah them call me these things or what are they seeing in me that they're perceiving to be different? How can I hide that? How can I get rid of that? And all of that teaches a young queer person often to look at every single one of their actions with an, under a microscope, to look at the actions of other people under a microscope to see either... Are they judging me or are they potentially experiencing the same things as me? And Elio says at one point um, when he's talking about how he transcribed music, um, and he does that a lot throughout the book, but he oftentimes will take a song that's by, say, Bach and transcribe it and play it the way that he thinks Liszt would have interpreted the Bach. And in talking about that process, he says, you have to get into an artist's shoes and become him to fully understand him. And then everything else flows naturally. So I think in that same way, Elio has this level of introspection because he is forced to, to to hide his differences or to hide these desires. But also he has this introspection on Oliver because he potentially sees a similarity between them two. And he sees how he could be just like him and so all of this like coded analysis might be his way of trying to find those similarities and get in the artist's shoes and understand him and hopefully find himself there as well. Did that make sense? Yeah, that makes, okay. that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think that's super interesting. And I think we see him start to break down his walls. He still tends to analyze everything to... Mm-hmm a really intense degree, but we see Elio, once he puts it out there to Oliver that he's interested, but even that he does it in a really interesting mm, way. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because that kind of goes along with the coding you've mentioned, mm, but... That enigmatic, you know what things, yeah, scene, which is Paige and I's favorite. I love We've said that, that scene in the so movie. So many times in the last few days you know what things. you know what things and in the movie that's the moment when they put their he lays his cards on the table mm-hmm. and he puts As it in out the book, there that dialogue is, right yeah, it's directly. taken directly from the book but he says if only you knew how little i know about the things that really matter uh, and oliver says what, what things, things that matter <laughs> and elio says you know what things you know what things <laughs> i okay. love the way he says you know it right there you know what things and then it's implied and... And Oliver, even past that, that's when it, it starts to get really coded because Oliver goes, are you saying what I think you're saying? And then in the book, Elio responds, 
yes, and you're not mistaking any of it. And then he goes, why are you telling me this? And literally nothing has been said. Right. Out of, out of context, if you hadn't read the rest of the book, you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? Nothing. Right. And that is because it's coded language. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did you find that scene confusing when you first read it? Or what? did you understand their coding? I, I understood it. And I think it's because it's a credit to Andre Ackerman as mm. a writer. And then also the filmmakers and how they built up that tension for us yeah i think they do a really great job of giving you a very up close and personal perspective into their desire for each Mm. other especially elio's because the book follows elio's internal dialogue and then the movie really follows timothy chalamet's face (laughs) yeah which (laughs) is the best possible way to which i don't hate at all they have a lot of close-up shots of him being introspective and or looking at Oliver a particular way and they don't focus on Oliver as much doing that Mm -hmm. and so I think they really do a good job of conveying that and you just get it right from you just get it immediately that they they're so into each other Mm -hmm. and so I think when you have at least that Elio is so into him right so I think when you have that context around it it's it's really easy to understand Mm -hmm. what's going on and I think that's kind of a cool commentary on desire in general and just the fact of how oftentimes what we say is important but sometimes it doesn't hold as much weight as the tone of how we Mm -hmm. say things or what things what things things we say what things we say how we how we respond to stuff because you most it's it's desire and caring about someone is one of the most convoluted complex fascinating beautiful things Mm to focus on in life and i think it's so confusing for so many of us to like someone and feel like there's this unrequited mm-hmm. love or whatever but then oftentimes you do have a sense of it in in other situations it's just so blatantly clear mm-hmm. so it's kind of cool that they play with this thing of you're you know you're not sure from elio's perspective yeah. if oliver is into him but then when it once it's put out there it's really easy to mm-hmm. grasp oh and you just want to grasp it. And you want to <laughs> grasp it, baby. I think, though, we'd be doing a disservice to that scene if we didn't talk about, like, in my opinion, two things about why that language is so extremely coded, even more so than all of their other discussions throughout the rest of the book and movie. And for the first part, they're in public. Um, and both of them express at multiple multiple points in the book and the movie a fear that the public will find out, that the town will find out, that the dad will find out. And that is directly related to the fact that this is a subversive queer romance. In the 1980s. In the 1980s, which is dangerous, or they believe it to be dangerous, and it probably was. Not in a small Italian on, town, yeah. probably. It was dangerous, y'all. So <laughs> th- there's that aspect of it right where they clearly don't want people to be able to understand what they're saying and they're also speaking non-italian so like it's coded even further right right that's interesting but then on top of that i would say that there's also an aspect of it um which you could read that the coding comes from shame as well and i'll say from my own personal experience there's this way where when you're talking about specifically a desire or a want or a need and especially one related to sexuality that has been so 
overshadowed by shame your whole life or so pushed down within you or covered up or you've been forced to cover it up, right? That to actually just come outright and say it, it's like shining light on something that you've only ever seen and fumbled around in the darkness with for years and it can be blinding too much, whatever, or even disgusting to the people doing it. So like when I had my first queer experiences, the guy that I was with, we would always use different terms like, oh, do you want to play this video game or do you want to do watch X, Y, and Z TV show, which we had just somehow like brain mind meld figured out that that communicated that we were going to do some intimate act, but we refused to ever actually say what we were doing or what we wanted because it would make it too real. And at that point, if you heard it out loud, you would have to face the shame that you've been Mm. taught to face when you hear things like gay or like talking about sex with another man, all of that stuff that, that becomes too hyper real. And so in Elio's case, it seems clear that he's a lot more comfortable implying what he wants out of Oliver than to actually say it. And we see that reflected in the fact that he implies it well enough and eventually gets what he wants out of Oliver, which is for them to be naked together to have this sexual experience. But then in the morning, quite literally when the light shines on him after he wakes up, he's sick and he's nauseated and he feels like he needs to get the fuck out of there. And for me, that felt like a really accurate look at that morning after shame that comes specifically with queer sex because it's been so or it's been made to feel so disgusting by other people even though you want it and when you have that desire and even before like ejaculation before anything where you get those chemicals that make you rethink it 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 can be covered up right because you're you know deep down you want it and all of that but once that's all gone and you see it in the light of day then it's shocking and too much and so that, that scene is coded both as a way to protect other people, protect the outside world from seeing, or protect the people within the conversation from the outsiders, but it's also to protect the people within the conversation from the reality of what they're actually saying. Right. So it's abstracted and up and down, if yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely. And that's also a moment when we see Oliver in a different light Mm. because we get the sense he has had experiences with other men Mm. and he's able to, to, he tries to walk this fine line in in terms of being sensitive to Elio's feelings and Mm. recognizing that he might not be okay with this. And I think he even says something like, do you wish we could take it all back? Or or are you going to hold this against me? Are you going to hold this against me? Right. And I think also like in that scene directly. So what happens is Elio confesses and then Oliver's like, wait a minute, stay right here. And he goes and runs into a store and then comes back out. And when he comes back out, he changes the topic of conversation. And then Elio, to bring it back to what they've just been discussing, says, um, I wish I hadn't have said anything. And I think Oliver says something along the lines of, you probably shouldn't have, or I wish you hadn't said that either. And Elio in the book comments on the fact that he had never heard that a single time growing up in his household, that I wish you hadn't have said that. Wow. So it was the first time as well that he sees Oliver having shame, given that Oliver throughout the book is somebody who perceives as having ultimate confidence about literally everything he does, about 
never feeling weird during any conversation, never feeling weird about any of his actions. He's just so sure of himself and his movements and his words. But then in that moment, Elio comments on the fact that that was a very un-Oliver thing to say. Right. And I think it, it, it reflects the fact that Oliver also, he's, he's past, he seems to be past the, the majority of the shame that Elio is experiencing. But dealing with Elio's inexperience with this is sort of throwing him back there and making him have to ask these questions like, we, or say things like, we've been good so far. Right, Like, right. I know myself. You know, like, we need to be good. We have nothing to... He quite literally says we have nothing, we have nothing to be, to be ashamed, ashamed of. of. Yeah. Right, before because they do anything. He knows that Elio is going to be ashamed. And probably because of that, he's a little bit of ashamed too. Right. Yeah. Shame is a fucking powerful She's out there. emotion. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, it's re- it's just so destructive. And you, this movie is not about... It, it, it's weird because there's so much... Upon the first watch or the first reading of the book, that I to me, that wasn't the thing I focused exactly. on the most. Yeah. You're kind of just wrapped up in this love story. But when you dive back in or when you rewatch the film, there's a lot of talk around mm-hmm. that, around shame. And I don't think it's a primarily a story about that, but I do think it's woven in as a theme Mm. that's really true to how a lot of people's experiences are and i might i might disagree i i think the movie definitely isn't about that yeah i don't know upon i i reread call me by your name um the book over the last couple days and maybe it's just because of the the part of my life that i'm in right now or whatever but while rereading it i was like oh this is about the shame of quite literally being bisexual, like that specific experience. And maybe mm. that, again, is because I can relate so deeply It probably it. is, but I think that's important that yeah. you're able to to glean that. Mm-hmm. And I don't... Th- oftentimes it's really hard for us, especially in, I don't know, I think a lot of literary books can mm. be... I, they're not always straightforward with what yeah. they mean, but if you know what to look for, it's there. Mm-hmm. And but if you're That's not, very true. if you're not someone who's had a particular life experience that aligns with the characters you're reading, it, it is that. It is that kind of I don't know if it's self preservation or just blissful ignorance or what, but it's really hard to tune in sometimes or to things you're not aware of. Quite literally, you aren't able to decipher the code that it's written under. That's true like too. You, yeah, and I I know. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm realizing, like, when I first read this book, I was in a very, like, happy, chill, okay place with my queerness. And since I read it the first time and came back to it, I did a lot of, like, introspection and realized how much shame had played a role in my queerness and how that affects who I am now. And I'm happy to say that I'm, like, much more past that. But I think that understanding and that reflection on that stuff I'd gone through made me see all of that in Elio in a way that... I was still sort of hiding that reality from myself when I first read it. Right. But upon the reread, I was like, oh my God, it's everywhere. It's right. It's tied hand in hand every single time with his desire. It's like sh- desire, shame, desire, shame, desire, shame. The entire You're right. Book. They're coupled up. Even the, the, the climactic sex scene is followed by one of the most intense descriptions of shame I've ever seen in a book right afterwards so you 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 want this payoff of like they're finally gonna fucking have sex these two characters that i'm like e just like get together the whole time and then they do and there's consequences there's no payoff yeah 
there's emotional consequences. Exactly. But you can skip over that and just be like, okay, but when are they going to get over it? But when you really sit on it, like, fuck, it's intense. And I think the shame kind of, shame and desire and the off and on of that also ties into one of the big themes of the book, which is temporality. Mm. And maybe ties into bisexuality specifically as well, because there's this... It's all bisexual, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Everything everything in life is bisexual, you guys. Um, No, but there is this sense that I don't this is me fully speculating do it I don't yeah I'm gonna gonna go ahead and speculate here but we temporality is a big theme in the book Mm. and the movie this sense of things won't be this way forever Mm. this is a really you know fleeting period of your life so take it for what it is now which I think Mm. is a really beautiful way to look at life and obviously also very sad but even with this experience with Oliver Maybe there's a part of him that's extra devastated by how it turns out because he knows that it can be a part of his life that's so easily hidden away. Mm. Like if he chooses, Mm. he can just continue to be with women from this point forward. And that's an experience that is so meaningful to him and is so integral to his identity and who he he grows to be. And yet it's something, if he wants, he doesn't have Mm -hmm. to put on display. And there's a certain level maybe of sadness about that. If he wants to display it, he does have to acknowledge the fact that this beautiful, intense love was coupled with the shame of his first real queer experience. Right, right. Yeah, so he either has to put it away or deal with the reality, which is that... And both of them are after hard. They had, after he had sex with somebody who he loved deeply, he f- felt like he was going to throw up and was disgusted the next morning. Right. And that'll be his reality forever, which is fucking crushing. Crushing. Those are two really upsetting choices yeah, Yeah. to have to go between. Being queer is hard, you guys. It's hard. (laughs) Uh, But actually, I wanted to emphasize that this book and the movie are both extremely narrow and privileged portraits of queerness, I think. Um as in they don't actually represent the majority of people's queer experiences. It's a very white male, wealthy white male look at what it's like to experience this sort of confusion and all of that stuff. Um, Not saying that that's not valid, but in reality, people's queer experiences are oftentimes a lot more complex and intersectional and nuanced than this. So I just want to make sure people... It's important when talking about this to just know that this doesn't represent the majority. Um, Yeah. But back to it. I also have some literature major type info about temporality specifically in the book. um, Which relates to Oliver is studying the work of famous Greek philosopher poet Heraclitus not acting like I fucking knew who that was before (laughs) doing this, but I did a deep dive into the introductory paragraph of his Wikipedia page. As all good research uh starts. Yeah, yeah. What I came up with was this quote about Heraclitus. He was committed to a unity of opposites and harmony in the world. He was famous for his insistence on ever-present change or flux or becoming as the characteristic feature of the world, as stated in the famous saying, no man ever steps in the same river twice. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, can you say that again, the last part? No man ever steps in the same river twice. 
That is fucking brilliant. It's it. No, it is. And I, I hadn't thought before I was thinking like, yeah, that relates to the temporality of the fact that there's quite literally a time limit put on this love. It's six weeks. That's the time he has to get to know Oliver, to get over hating him, to realize he loves him, to fall in love with him, and then to say goodbye. But then also, I was just struck by, while reading that, the unity of opposites. And I mean, we see that with shame and desire, right? Like, it's this coupling of something beautiful, something so perfect and and forever and universal, but then it's also constrained by time. So it's fleeting. Right. The shame and desire. adds to... Yeah. It just magnifies all Mm -hmm. of the emotions and also adds to the magic in Mm -hmm. a way. And I think maybe that's a reason partly why so many people were swept up with this film Mm. and this story in particular is because it is so relatable in that way where Mm. I think everyone, no matter who you are, no matter your life experiences, has had a time when you felt time pressing down on you and I feel you're like you have that a lot i have it Paige is somebody that yeah gets i have that a lot that. i get nostalgic yeah. for things as i'm experiencing you've had a lot them. of wild amazing phases of your life yeah I, like. I think that's why i'm i'm have such a fondness for france because mm. i had the opportunity to, to study there for a bit and then to teach english there for a while and i had just the most incredible experiences mm. when i was there and not even that they were such out of the ordinary or wild experiences, Mm. but that just that there was this air of magic and novelty to every, quite literally everything Mm. that I did, whether it was going to a post office, opening a bank account in another language, you know, taking a road trip in another country. Mm -hmm. And it had this sense of beauty, but I knew part of the magic was that it wasn't going to last. And in a river. I was in Brown, that river and I back. haven't stepped back since. Uh-huh. It's it's I've been back since, but it is Or a few yeah, when you go back the river's filled with new water. So is it really yeah. the same river? Yeah, it's no, it's not. And I think there's I really I don't know, I have a lot of fondness for those experiences in my life because I just have just this like I know I knew when they were happening that mm. those times would never happen again. Not to say that my life wouldn't have incredible experiences or that I wouldn't get to do similar wonderful things in my life and I have. And I know there will be more, but Maybe. just that <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> but just that I don't know, I think it's it's special when you can recognize the magic of something as it's happening and learn to embrace mm. it and just fully take it for what it is while you have it because you don't have these things forever. Let's reflect, you guys. That's number one, everybody's bisexual. Number two, mm-hmm. don't take things for granted. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Fuck. Those are the two lessons of, of today's pod. But I also have to just toss this in there because when this movie came out, I had just Please. recently found out I was accepted to a writing residency in Tuscany. Mm. And it made me so excited to go to see this movie because I lived out my own little Call Me By Your Name fantasy. fantasy. I read all day. I wrote. I laid in the sun. I swam in the pool. Mm. It was just these lazy, peaceful days with where you gave yourself time to be bored Mm -hmm. and you had fascinating conversations with people and... It was just such a unique time in my life, and I'll never forget it. And I, I very much had that sense as it was happening, like, this is special, and it, and you won't have it in this same exact way again. Fuck. 
Maybe I should go to a villa. <laughs> We're actually starting a GoFundMe to crowdfund my trip to a villa. Um, okay, while you were just discussing that envious moment, I found this quote from Elio, which relates, which is, he's describing um, laying out by the pool in what Oliver calls heaven, which is just a spot by the pool with all of his little papers and the sun, and he just tans and goes over his manuscript. And Elio says, this was my moment in heaven, and young as I was, I knew it wouldn't last, and that I should at least enjoy it for what it was, rather than ruin it with my off-crank resolution to firm up our friendship or take it to another plane. Mm. So he's aware of what that river that he's in is, and he's nervous that any sort of movement or emotional shift could take him out of that little spot of heaven, which is... And it's almost better to exist in this place of uncertainty, of anticipation, mm-hmm. never knowing, never having the answer, because then at least you don't have the answer yeah. you don't want. I mean, 98% of the time you have a crush, the most fun part is before anything fucking happens. The build-up! The build-up, because... The drop is they're not into you. <laughs> or the drop is they are into you and maybe it didn't live up to what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And they are into you and the mental version of them that you created could not be further from reality because you didn't actually <laughs> speak to them. You saw them across your English class four times and manufactured a personality. Yeah. That is so true. But what a, what a fun ride that is in your brain right? for uh, when it exists. Like there is and your brain's no... Just like, serotonin endorphins yes you're just popping off like every every song you listen to is the best song ever every every experience you have you see it through new eyes Mm -hmm. i think about the crushes i had in high school and just how they electrified they supercharged every experience every room i was in and somebody raises the corner of their lips at you for 0.87 seconds and your day is made you're oh god you're thinking about it later. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's such a fun time. And I think mm-hmm. Elio is obviously crushing defeat, crushing defeat. He's obviously racked with anxiety mm. and insecurity while si- simultaneously having that. But then mm-hmm. there are these moments when he's really cognizant of the beauty of them mm-hmm. and the sense of peace he has around Oliver and not wanting to screw it up. He says, I was hopeful, though perhaps this is what I had wanted all along, to wait forever. Oh. Like, he acknowledges that maybe what he wants is just to exist in the ambiguity. Of exist in the world where somebody's presence at breakfast and a single smirk and a glance they give him can have him literally riding or walking on clouds all fucking day. That sounds nice. Like, who wouldn't <laughs> I want... I could go for that. I could, yeah, but then stretch other out points, that hope. Right? Then at other points, though, he acknowledges that somebody not showing up to breakfast can fucking ruin his life for three days. Right. So, you... Yeah, I love the drama yeah. of Timothy Chalamet in the movie. Just, he does such great job with his facial expressions mm. and his body language and just the little moments where he's clearly Truly. obsessing or I love them. Little film major geek moment. Not that I'm a film major, but I imagine <laughs> I was like, that, when if, did that happen? if I were one, this is the kind of shit I would bring up in conversation. Paige and I noticed that um, the first time in the movie that Oliver doesn't show up for one of the meals and Elio's like a little pissy, um, he looks down to the bottom right corner, there's a shot of him close up and he's looking down and just doing a Timothy Chalamet face moment where he says it all. And that's kind of the exact same shot as the ending of the movie. Oh. Where you just get these check-ins on... 
they have you, you don't get the internal dialogue of elio it's not a narrated movie but you get five minutes of timothy chalamet to a sufjan stevens song at the end with a fly buzzing with around. a fly buzzing around and the glow of a fire and his parents setting a table in the background and somehow that says everything it, says it really it does i think that that scene can make me cry every single time mm. because of just the raw like grief on his face uh, uh. And I actually think... And that smirk, though. It, it's like it transforms smirk, yeah. into him clearly just being nostalgic and being like, it'll never happen again. Right. I mean, I'm manufacturing what he's saying. No, but that's he the says point. Nothing, You're sub- but yeah. I actually think that's where the movie really shines, and it's mm. kind of a fun experience. The book is incredible, but the movie allows for a lot more personal projection and yeah. interpretation, and that's kind of fun. I think if the movie had been narrated it would take on this level of cheesiness Mm. that would detract from the intensity of elio's emotions and i think it's kind of cool that instead of a really dialogue heavy movie we get really body language heavy and these minor expressions and these little impactful moments it's just really beautiful it makes me you just saying all that makes me want to see a version of the movie told from oliver's perspective where we can all oh fantasize God. about our 18-year-old twink high school boyfriend that we never got with the so, beautiful okay. face. Yeah. How would so really quick let's fanfic the Please. the period of time between the summer, the end of summer and then the winter when Oliver calls Elio back and says uh, I'm engaged. Uh, what does Oliver do? Oliver confronts the fact that he was into a child. That's something we don't have to get into, <laughs> but I do think it's important the to at least bring up the age difference is potentially messy. Yeah. yeah, especially because so much of the book is about Elio's immaturity sexually. I mean, he wants these things, but it's his first time, and then he feels hurt after. He's I, seventeen. He's seventeen, and Oliver's a whole ass man. And seventeen to like nineteen. That's, that's, a, that's but a lot. Yeah, it's seventeen to twenty-four. And Andre Ackman has said some, frankly, messy shit about attraction to younger people in interviews and stuff, which has gotten him canceled. He oh, says, I didn't know um, this. he says in an interview, he's like broing down with this guy who's interviewing him, and he's like, I mean, we all find twelve-year-old girls attractive, but you can never say that out loud. Once you say it, it becomes. A disgusting thing, but we're all thinking it, and it's like, are oh dear. we? Are we? Are you sure? <laughs> me too. Me as well. I'm thinking. Yeah. So that had people being like, "Wait." In retrospect, this book is, and I mean, I think that's a completely valid and fair criticism. That and I we're don't not. Know what we are I'm not say saying that, that an age difference of seven years is anything to mm-hmm. be alarmed by. That's a really normal age but difference. But that specific. But that specific period of time when yeah. someone's seventeen on the cusp of adulthood is a really fragile time and those Mm -hmm. are really formative years so it can be a little harmful potentially but so okay so so this fan fiction didn't turn out super fun so you just think oliver came to his senses and was like shit i I had a relationship with a 17 year old and i've been off and on with this woman for a long time and i guess it's just time to move into that phase of my life maybe i'm jaded by the fact that it feels like a very similar moment to Brokeback Mountain when they... I don't know if you remember, but Heath Ledger's character... Spoilers, you guys. Ennis Ennis (laughs) goes back and he's like, Jack Twist, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
but no, he he has this woman, and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to marry her after he has this amazing love affair with Jack Twist. And then his marriage is lackluster, and he never he realizes later he never loved her as much as he loved Jack. So part of me is just applying that same sort of thing onto Oliver's decision. Like, he had the most beautiful, wonderful summer of love with this person, Elio, but then he's like, but the safer option, the one that makes more sense for me, is just to marry this girl but we know nothing about her maybe they had a beautiful romance i don't know we do get a little taste (gasps) of it later Uh because andre ackerman wrote a sequel to call me by your name called find me it came out this october and it's broken into four parts and the first part features elio's dad actually many Mm. years later and this is Something you find out in the first couple pages, but he's been divorced from Elio's mom and dun, dun, dun. and he meets a new woman. Hmm. And that was not fun for me. I <laughs> I really loved Elio's dad as a character in the book and the movie and seeing him in this new light. Just, I don't know, the writing made me didn't not... Do it for you. It didn't do it for me. And then we do get a peek into Oliver's marriage. And it seems like it's just this really comfortable friendship based thing Hmm. okay but but who knows what it was at the beginning you know because this is so many years later but yeah i would our fan fiction drops i would love to see a movie from his perspective like i know it's derivative but like give it to me i'll eat that yeah i want to i want to see them follow army hammer like at night when Mm -hmm, he disappears mm -hmm. and he comes back like all drunk and Mm -hmm. and haggard i want to know what he was up to yeah, but then part of me is still worried that that would make it seem it would become creepy. Like, I feel like there is a reason that the perspective is rooted in Elio. Like, it has to be. Right. Maybe if we saw it from Oliver's perspective, it would be him vacillating between, between okay, I Jesus, like him, should, should I, I try this? to do, yeah. or then trying to convince himself, no, this is a bad idea. Like, stay away yeah. from the house mm-hmm. so that you don't have the opportunity to connect with him. I mean, that's quite literally what he does right here. That's why that's he's true. rude to him. He has these on and off moments where he like gives in to his affection for Elio and then he doesn't look at him for three days. Or gives his icy Oliver American stare. Which I'm like, do Americans give icy stares? I feel like the French give icy stares. They know how to stare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is true. I don't know. Well, so let's talk about the title. Yeah, let's wrap it up with that because that's important. Yeah, I don't think it really gets explained in the film yeah and there's a lot more context to it in the book even in the book though it's enigmatic i've talked to so many people about this this book movie whatever and a lot of them have been like but why the fuck is calling them by their name so important or why is that like the titular line right and it it's not readily apparent especially in the movie i don't think you can fully gleam And so why is it? Because I had to reread a couple passages when I was reading the book to really understand it. And even then, I remember you and I talking about it and I wanted your perspective and you had a really good response. I feel like I unlocked it when I was rereading the book a couple days ago, but this will probably be one of my convoluted eight minute speeches again, but buckle up. We love to hear it. Get ready, you guys. Um, No, so yeah, when I read it, I was like... On the surface, I mean, it's just a, like, semi-kinky thing to do, right? To be like, call me by your name. Like, there's that aspect of it. But then, I think, rereading the book, it was important for me um, in understanding it. Because you see that in the book, the call me by your name moment happens during their sex. 
where in the movie it's a post-coital pillow talk type thing. And I think it, it makes a lot more sense as a in the middle of sex type thing because so Oliver tells Elio to call him by his name and he'll call him by his that was so confusing to say but we got it yeah yeah great um and they do and I feel like in the perspective of Elio's shame surrounding his sexuality that moment is the most intense way to acknowledge his own sexuality and to affirm self-love Effectively, right? Because the entire time, Elio is searching for these similarities between himself and Oliver. He really likes the fact that they're both Jews, that they're descended from the same people, that they both wear these necklaces, that they're both men. And he likes that they share all of these intimate inside jokes, that they understand each other's little looks, they chuckle at the same things without being prompted to. So he's, he's seeing himself in Oliver, and that's part of his whole journey of really liking him is trying to find their similarities and at, even at certain points he tries to diminish how similar they are he's like i won't tell him i read as much because he'll think it comes off as me trying to appeal to him like too quickly or whatever but it's clear that they're very similar and in terms of a queer love situation a lot of the times in initial queer experiences this is statistically true as well as just anecdotally with me and my friends that I've talked to. Um, there's sort of this thing where one person has to remove all sense of their manhood if it's two men having sex so that the act can feel like it somehow fits into some sort of role that's been outlined by society, right? So that it can be in some way comfortable. Um, but in Call Me By Your Name, when they're having this moment, they are quite literally unified through sex. Elio talks frequently about wanting Oliver to be inside of him and wanting them to become one. But he also likes the egalitarian aspect of their unification. He talks when they're making out about how they're both men, they're both Jews, both of their Star of Davids are on their neck, they're both leaning in at the same angle. And so he likes how there's this similarity between them. They and kind of mirror each other. Exactly, they mirror each other. But subverting the typical repressed first shameful queer experience thing where they maybe don't acknowledge each other's manhood or it has to be one of them is doing the penetrating, one is receiving, and they, they fill these roles of masculine and feminine without really acknowledging the fact that it's a queer thing that's happening and not just... Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Totally. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to explain, but you... So that's a way of kind of taking back your own power and validating... Well, so, so just in, in context of the, the thing where you avoid one's manhood, that is like a very, we just have to do this so I can get through this without feeling disgusted at myself of like, like I, I know a lot of men having their first queer experience will seek out somebody they perceive as being more feminine, right? To, like, mm. ease this transition so they're not confronted viscerally with the fact that they are with another man. But this call-me-by-your-name scene is the ultimate throwing away of that. So when they say call-me-by-your-name and he calls Oliver Elio and Elio or an Oliver calls him Oliver, um, 
That is quite literally them saying that I can see myself, a man, a Jewish man, a queer man within you, and I'm having sex with that. Do you get what I'm saying? Like they're acknowledging in the most intense way possible that they... It's kind of like this, it's loving another person, and then it's also this really amazing act of self-love, right? Where they're taking that back and Mm. validating themselves as someone worthy of that Mm -hmm. type of love and affection. Exactly. And it's the ability for them to see themselves in each other that makes this possible, right? So if he tried to do the call me by your name thing with Marcia, Elio did, it wouldn't work simply because of the fact that they, they aren't very similar. They don't have this like mind meld situation going on. They don't get each other, but also she's not a man and he can't see himself reflected in her, but him and Oliver are similar enough and they've shared these experiences and they're intimate enough that he is able to see the parts of himself that he normally hides away in Oliver and in that moment chooses to love them and quite literally receives Elio mm. into himself. Do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the penetrative aspect. So again, that was convoluted. I think I'm that's, sorry, no, but. I think that's a really beautiful interpretation of it. It makes a lot of sense to me. And in that way, it, it kind of circles back to the fact of this story being a story of, in a lot of ways, it's a romance, but it's also a really bisexual romance mm. where, I mean, that is Correct. literally the title. The title is represent, representing mm. this thing that wouldn't that. happen in a hetero relationship right I don't so know why that just blew my mind but yeah no you're right like that's not possible so it's sort of i mean we or don't that, know it's not impossible but it, it wouldn't yeah it wouldn't work to the same degree it wouldn't offer the same level mm-hmm. of satisfaction so it's interesting because before you really see you see this film before you read the book you don't know what that expression mm-hmm. means you don't know the significance you of just it hear army hammer go call me call by <laughs> yeah and so you it doesn't ASMR style. it's kind of like Andre Ackman's doing a little <clears throat> a little sneaky thing where he's dropping that in the title and putting this really big clue in there mm-hmm. about the significance of this story and what it's really about mm-hmm. and I don't think that's obvious in at the, the first yeah, yeah first or even yeah or even at the first look at the book yeah nor was it obvious when I went on that fucking run on explanation. I'm so sorry. I think it was. I loved it. Okay, I loved great. that explanation. She gets me. I get you, and I appreciate all of your opinions. And thank you, being Cole. So, thank you so much, Cole, for being here. No, this I week. was calling. See, it doesn't work. It doesn't <laughs> wow, work. Wow, you guys, we just proved it. <laughs> you believe? There it is. Oh wow. Well, this has been really enlightening little yeah. chat and. Such a fun, positive. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool to talk about something to this level because it is a really. It feels like a fun, positive movie, mm. even though it ends with a little bit of melancholy. There's. It's like, not this. Oh, they won't see each other again. It's not this devastating ending. Mm. I didn't think. I thought there's something. There's some hope in it. There's some hope in it, and there's a beautiful sense of to go back to the temporality. This thing happened, but it was special, and I would have rather had it happen and end than not to have experienced it at Truly. all. And I think that's a really lovely way to like conclude a story. And and even with what we just discussed, like in, in terms of what Elia will take away from this, in addition to that shitty thing where he either has to take away or he has to hide what happened or he has to acknowledge the shame, he also gets to have fully loved himself for the first time at the end of this. Mm. Like him smiling into the fire, you know, at the very end. Yeah. Like he... 
it's over and he'll never have it again, but he's a changed person who's more okay with himself. You even see he's told his parents at the end. Yeah. He says they know about us. Like he's he's, he's come, come full circle on loving Elio, on receiving Elio. Yeah. Right. Fuck. Mm. That's beautiful. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Thanks for listening. And TYSM. Yeah. If you if you like this topic, then let us know. And if you we'll didn't, <laughs> then give us something that you would be interested in hearing us overanalyze. We have an oh email God, have address. An email. Yeah. We have an email. Overanalyzing podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So feel free to hit us up anytime. That's overanalyzing podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Promo code. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. We don't have any of those yet. 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 <laughs> Maybe someday. But, wow. uh, We will see you next time. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being here. Bye. Bye.